Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast and good to be here for a huge, huge weekend in Houston sports, a huge Sunday. Robert alongside co-host Stephen Kerr and as we combine an Astros World Series and a Texans postgame show, Stephen, if you love sports, injuries suck. Today was a day where the city of Houston was on both ends of the equation for the good and for the bad and helped a lot one team and another team. It's it's pretty frustrating, but I mean, if the big one is the Astros, then you got to be happy about what's going on with them. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, talk about trying to pack a lot of things into one show. I mean, I'm going on a trip next week. And so I'm thinking about packing and just trying to figure out how am I going to fit it all in? But we, we sure have a lot to fit in on this show, but yeah, injuries suck. And I, I tell you what, especially, you know, from the Astros side of things, it, it worked out well for them because it happened to the nationals with Max Scherzer, who was supposed to pitch game five, but neck and back spasms. And, you know, Scherzer's a tough guy. And uh, he even said, I think in the press conference today that, his wife had to help him out of bed. It was so bad. So you know that if he can't go, he he's definitely hurting. So for the Astros, you know, they, they got to face Joe Ross and uh, worked out for them. But, of course, for the Texans, didn't work out quite so well. If you talk about a banged-up team, uh, they just got more banged up, and the worst of it was J.J. Watt's injury. So, yeah, a crazy day. The Astros win. They're one win away from winning their second World Series in three years. The Texans win. But they have a major injury. So, yeah, a lot to cram in for sure. Yeah, and we'll get to J.J. and the Texans in a little bit. But just I want to talk about Scherzer because, you know, Scherzer and J.J. Watt, they're both very similar. I mean, guys that you can't find anybody that says much at all bad about these people, not only as players, but as human beings. They're both future Hall of Famers. Look, I have a personal thing with Scherzer as far as just a connection in that, you know, he's a Missouri guy, University of Missouri grad. Uh, He's our best player, of course, in the history uh, in in Major League Baseball. And, you know, Scherzer's just uh, he's a guy that you want to root for if you know about his story. And you want the Astros to win without saying, well, but that other team, I, I know, I know you want the Astros to win and screw it. Cause last year, you know, they had Altuve hurt and they had Correa hurt and, and all that kind of thing. But you know, a guy like Scherzer, I, I look at it, Steven, where, you know, this is somebody that doesn't get the, these, this opportunity very much. You know, he doesn't have a championship. He's a future hall of famer, several Cy young awards, no hitters. I mean, just everything. And and just if people don't know, Scherzer and his wife heavily involved in working to stop human trafficking. Like our own Lance McCullers, big animal lover, has four rescue dogs. He and his wife donate their time and money to help animal rescue and adoption. It's not just that they are involved in the causes. Scherzer's wife is on boards for both of these causes. And they were helping with adoption for displaced animals in Houston during Hurricane Harvey when Houston animals were displaced, they were help, trying to help from Washington, D.C., trying to pay for adoption and, and, and help help them that way. It just He's a good guy. That's all I'm saying. And and you just don't want to see it uh, in, in a World Series where a guy like that gets hurt. Well, no, you don't. And I've said this before on the podcast, Robert. It, it just When it comes to injuries, it doesn't matter who you're talking about. It doesn't matter whether it's your team, the other team, somebody else's team. You hate to see injuries happen to any player, 
certainly the good guys like Max Scherzer. I mean, think about it. That would be the equivalent of saying uh, Justin Verlander or Garrett Cole not being able to go tonight for the Astros because of some kind of injury in a game that's extremely important, probably the, the most important game of the year right there for the Nationals. For them, they could have taken a 3-2 lead going back to Houston. So, yeah, regardless of which team you're talking about, which player you're talking about, it, it's just unfortunate that it had to happen. Remember that guy, Jordan Alvarez, that we were just like crazy about every time he came up to the plate, something might happen? Yeah, I, I, we were talking about Bregman the other night and that, that he had this uh, impersonator that we didn't like. Well, you know, I think Jordan Alvarez had this impersonator we didn't particularly like till we got to the World Series. But now the real Alvarez is back. And how about AJ going ahead and putting him in the left field? Of course, he did that before he knew that Scherzer would be scratched. But... He didn't have a knee-jerk reaction. He didn't take him out. He stuck with him, put him in the lineup, and Jordan came through. We finally got to see him hit a postseason home run. How about that? Yeah, I remember this guy. I remember this guy from a couple months ago. And, and I kind of like this guy, too. Yeah, it's fun. It's just <laughs> cool. And, and, and you know, he hits the two-run home run. He, he wasn't done there. Gets a couple of singles, laces a couple of singles, and you look up and – yeah, Jordan Alvarez. He was terrible, awful. It was terrible all through the ALCS. And then I look at the postseason or I look at the World Series numbers and you go, wait a second. Jordan Alvarez is doing what? He's hitting 545 with an 818 slugging and a 615 on base percentage. And he's over 1400 OPS, Stephen. It's ridiculous. Well, and that just goes to show every series is different. You know, just because you struggle in one postseason series, sometimes just the ending of a series, maybe facing a different team can do that to you. And, you know, Alvarez felt so defeated after the ALCS and his performance that, but, but, you know, credit the Astros. Yuli Gurriel, Michael Brantley, a lot of the guys, they, they rallied around him. And most importantly, A.J. Hinch stuck with him, which is something that he's been known to do. He did it with Springer. He's done it with, with others. You know that when you have that kind of talent, the guy's going to snap out of it. A.J. didn't lose patience with him, and, and it's definitely paid off. And he went ahead and put him in left field in Game 5. They had talked about that possibility that he might do it. And, well, the Astros are certainly glad he did because he came through and He's one of the big reasons that they're ahead three games to two now. I'm going to save Garrett Cole for a little bit because, you know, we got to talk about him. But, I mean, if you go through this Astros lineup, let's just talk about hitting for just a second. And once this game, game five was over with, you go through the lineup and you look up and you go, George Springer hitting 313, 1100 or 1200 OPS in the World Series. Altuve's hitting 360. Brantley's hitting 400. Jordan's hitting 545. Uh, Jake Marisnik is hitting 333. I mean, up and down the lineup. Yeah, Bregman's struggling, but oh yeah, he did have a couple of home runs and he had a grand slam and five RBIs in game four. And Correa, yeah, he's struggling. He's only hitting, I don't know, 158, but he hit that two-run home run and he's doing what he does defensively. And the catchers, we know uh, what Chirinos has been doing, a couple of home runs in this series, and he's been hitting the baseball really well. Maldonado's doing the same. He has a home run. I mean, you, you go through up and down the lineup, and you, you, you can't you can't really quibble with anything that's going on now that they're starting to hit with runners in scoring position again. Well, this is the Astros' regular season offense. This is what we're used to seeing. But I'll tell you that the surprising thing to me, Robert, is the catching tandem 
of Robinson Torinos and Martin Maldonado. They have both come through with hits and made some plays. And, you know, that that's traditionally as far, at least from a hitting standpoint, has been a, a pretty weak link most of the season and most of the postseason. But, boy, it, it's really good to see them all across the board. And, yeah, you can hit 150, 230, 250, whatever in the World Series. But sometimes – one or two at-bats, a big hit like Greg, uh, Bregman's Grand Slam. You know, Correa's hit some home runs. Those are the hits that can get you over the hump and sometimes make a difference. So, yeah, it's good to see the Astros' regular season offense come back. George Springer, you know, my heart is is all about George Springer. There's nobody that I love more on this team. He becomes the 14th player with at least seven career World Series home runs in Major League Baseball history. It's the seventh time Correa and Springer have homered in the same playoff game. That's a record. Uh, Correa hit the baseball like it had done something to him. I mean, he really spanked that baseball for for his home run. And then uh, you look at the Astros in these last three games, Stephen, they've outscored the Nationals 19-3. to The bullpen gave up one run in Washington. The starters gave up two. What a performance. Well, I'll tell you what. And and what's really interesting is the the way the the visiting team versus the home team thing has gone. You know, and this, of course, is combined for the whole series. But the visiting team has outscored the home team 36 to 10 in this series. Now, if you're an Astros fan, you want that to change in game six on Tuesday night when they come back to Minute Maid Park because you want the Astros to keep this up. Because, yeah, the three games in Washington, I mean, you think about it, they were down two games to none. They they had to win at least two out of three to make this a series. They come back and win three straight, and the offense gets on track and talk about silencing a Washington crowd that was all pumped up, having their first World Series in D.C. in 86 years. They were all ready for it, and the Astros came in in that game three, and from that point on, just for the most part, the fans didn't really have much to cheer about. The umpires gave them a lot to boo, and 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 rightly so. I, there was pitches throughout this game that I thought the Astros benefited. I mean, there it went both ways a little bit. There was a wide strike zone, but typically, you know, you, you kind of look through the game through those Astros orange sunglasses, and you go, "Oh, well, yeah, we 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 should have got that car." No, th- this game. The Astros got some really good calls and, and big moments too, especially late in the game where the the ball was obviously out of the strike zone. And you know, I understood the Nationals being upset about it. The Astros, the ones that they were upset about, were a little bit closer than that. I mean, it's these are you're talking about World Series pitchers that you know can really locate baseball. So when the, usually the, there's a miss and it's it's just a little bit off, Stephen. So. You know, you got to cut the umpires a little bit of slack, but there that that one late in the game was an obvious miss. And you know, the Astros, for once, you got to say, well, we, they got the calls. I mean, they got the calls this time. Yeah, you're talking about the one to Robles where he threw his his bat and his helmet. That that was definitely a pitch that was off. Now, the ball four pitch to Zimmerman that was just barely a strike, according to Statcast. I mean, it was a lot closer, uh, but the Astros didn't get that call. So I don't know if you could call the strike three to Robles a makeup call or not. But yeah, because that pitch was definitely much more out of the zone. Yeah, Lance Barksdale, he, he didn't do either team a favor, and both teams were getting upset at him. Of course, the Nationals fans booed him quite vociferously after that third strike call. But 
Yeah, but honestly, the the Nationals can't blame the umpires for the fact that they're now down three games to two. I mean, their offense just clearly went the way that the Astros really did in the first two games. So, and it, it didn't help. And, and they've been inconsistent, especially in in Game Five. But you, you honestly cannot say that the umpires won or lost the game for either team. Are you thinking we're about a hundred percent sure we're not going to see Garrett Cole in an Astros uniform after this? I'm saying, yeah, certainly 99.9%. I mean, I, I just don't see how that can be the case. And as we talked about, of course, the other night, uh, you know, it's always possible. And, and Garrett Cole has had an outstanding year. I mean, he's had the kind of year that I, I just, I don't think you've really seen in modern baseball winning, you know, basically winning 19 consecutive starts. I don't know if you're ever going to see that again, but I'm sure Garrett Cole is going to be a dominant pitcher. And if you're an Astros fan, you know, this is, I don't know, Robert, this is kind of reminiscent to me of 2004 when you saw Carlos Beltran just, you know, go crazy in the postseason and everyone's clamoring, please sign Beltran, please sign Beltran. Well, you know, you kind of knew in the back of your mind, if you really looked at it objectively, he wasn't going to sign with the Astros. He was a Boris client too. Cole is a Boris client. You know, he's going to try to get whatever he can get. And really, the only way is that if Jim Crane steps up and says, you know what, I don't care about the luxury tax. We're going to go for it. Let's do it. Let, let's get him in here. If it costs us $250, $300 million, let's do it. You, I mean, you have to hold out a little hope because free agency hasn't happened yet and anything can happen. And, you know, in some years when we think a lot of players are really going to have the skyrocketing salaries – it hasn't worked that way, but I honestly think Garrett Cole is going to get his money in 2020 and beyond. I'm kind of out of adjectives at this point. Seven innings, you know, three hits, nine strikeouts, just the two walks, one on run on the home run, 71 strikes of his 110 pitches. And I mean, he, he gave you everything that he had at the end of the game. They asked him, could you have gone another inning? And he was like, that's all I have, man. That's it. And, and it's just un- unreal. Yeah, at, at least, you know, he was honest about that. And and another great stat to throw out here is he has given up one run or less in his last nine road starts. This is on the road. We're not talking about Minute Maid Park here. We're talking about on the road. Garrett Cole has pitched beautifully on the road, one run or less in his last nine starts. And, you know, in the first inning, he didn't really have his best stuff. His slider was was just not quite getting in there. But from that point on, he was the Garrett Cole that we're used to seeing. So that that was great because, you know, the, the Astros offense did just enough, and but they did a little bit more to give him some breathing room. So that was nice too. Now they got to win a game where, you know, it's tough for them. They, they can't win a World Series game at home uh, in this World Series. Uh, Steven, it's, it's going to be tough. <laughs> well, that's why I was saying, you know, the, the fact that the visiting team has won so many games in a row Astros fans certainly want that to change now, but there is one thing that we can guarantee, Robert. Okay, I'm going to make a guarantee, and no, I'm not jinxing anything. You'll you'll understand when I tell you. If the Astros do win this World Series, it is guaranteed it will be at Minute Maid Park, whether it's at Game 6 or Game 7. That's something they didn't get in 2017. They had to win it on the road, but if they do win Game 6 or Game 7, the Astros fans will get to celebrate right there in their home ballpark. How about that? First time in their history, the Astros have a game to clinch a championship in Houston. That is nice to say.
Yeah, absolutely. So now all they have to do is go out and do it. And they just have to win one out of two. That's it. And, you know, preferably let's just do it in game six, get Justin Verlander that World Series win that has been eluding him <laughs> for so long. So, yeah, let's do that. If it goes to a game seven, Garrett Cole might be available. You got Granky on the mound. You really want to get it in game six. Not not just because, obviously, you would like to win the next game and get it over with. But once it goes to a game seven, I don't know. Granky is on this on the mound. He's your starter. Uh, you know, it's he's a little bit. He he leaves me a little bit shaky. You know, you'd have maybe Cole coming out of the bullpen. I don't know what Verlander could give you after game six, but I mean, it, it, you've got, this is the opportunity. I think that you would just want to take advantage of. You want to do it with Verlander. Uh, you don't want it to go to a game seven. Cause then it, it feels like anything can happen. And then the nationals get a little bit of hope. You want to go ahead and, you know, kind of stomp them when they're down, I guess, the best way I can say it. Well, and that is the one thing that the Astros have had problems with in this postseason is putting teams away when they've got their foot on the throat. It's like they they just don't want to squeeze it down all the way and allow the team to come back and make it a little too interesting. I mean, it happened in the Tampa series. It it kind of happened in the Yankees series. I mean, the Astros won it in six games, but they they kind of tried to let the Yankees back in. Yeah, you just don't want that to be the case if you can avoid it. Now, in Game 7, obviously, all hands are, are going to be on deck for both teams. I mean, yeah, Cole could probably come out of the pen and pitch an inning. Jose Urquidy, I mean, he pitched, you know, the night before Cole, so he could probably give you an inning on a couple of days rest. So, it, yeah, it could happen with both teams. Everybody's going to be ready. And, you know, Max Scherzer, I think he got an, an injection or something for his neck and back that says it's probably going to be a, a good 48 hours before it takes effect. So who knows if it went to a game seven, maybe he would be even available to pitch an inning. So yeah, anything can happen in a game seven and it's anybody and everybody to try to get it over. Got a quick story for you. And, and I don't know if you know this one, and this, this wasn't super familiar to me, uh, Steven, everybody's heard about how Bregman's grandfather worked as a general counsel for the Washington centers senators. But I don't know. Have you heard of the, how his grandfather was, you know, in many ways, the reason the Senators left Washington for Texas, is, th is that out there for Astros fans? I, I don't know if I have seen that. So here, here you go. Here's the story from what I, I read. And a friend of mine who lives up in the, in the Washington area pointed out to me that, yeah, Bregman, they don't like him as much here because they, they feel like his grandfather is the reason why that the Nationals moved to, or the Senators, I should say, moved to Texas so Stanley Bregman, who's Alex's grandfather, was a Democratic lawyer working for the party's presidential candidate, Vice President Hubert Humphrey. So this is a, he was a Democrat, Bregman's dad, a grandfather. Yeah, I do remember hearing that. Yeah, the senators were for sale at this time. And a guy named Bob Short, a wealthy trucking and hotel executive, was treasurer of the Democratic National Committee. So, of course, Democrat as well. So Nixon was elected, and after Nixon was elected president in 1968, uh, Stanley, Alex's grandfather, convinced Short to buy the senators. Short beat out rival bidder Bob Hope, which I'm surprised I, I, I did not know this, but Hope was always a very vocal Republican. So senators fans were ner nervous about Short, given his track record, because eight years earlier, he bought the Minneapolis Lakers 
And yeah, that didn't go that well because he moved him to Los <laughs> Angeles. <laughs> right, right. And so Short, uh, according to Alex Bregman's grandfather, didn't know one thing about baseball. He used to call the umpires referees. The manager was coach. And then three years later, <laughs> the Senators are in Arlington, and, and that's the rest of the story. So, yeah, they don't like Bregman's grandfather all that much up there for a lot of reasons now. No, I imagine not. Well, Alex Bregman, of course, he, he's an interesting person to begin with, and that's that's definitely a, a good piece of uh, interesting family history. Who's going to be the hero? Who's going to win this for the for the Astros in Game Six? Who do you got your money on? Oh, you know, I would. I, I tell you what, I, I would love to see Alvarez hitting a home run that makes a difference. Just with, with all that he's been through and the kind of year he had in the regular season. I, I would just love to see him come through, or if not him, I'd like to see, you know, I, I don't know if you're going to see Tucker so much in a pinch hitting role. You might, you know, now that they're not in the National League ballpark, but I'd say one of the two young guys, if, if they hit a get a crucial hit, hit a crucial home run, somebody like that, I, I, I think that would be just the, the perfect way to end the season. Yeah. Speaking of Bregman, it, it just feels like we're, we're, we're kind of inching up to his moment because he loves this stuff and it, the bigger it gets the bigger it seems like Alex Bregman uh you know his guts and his courage comes out in these type of moments and, and he does magical things uh the one thing that I was thinking about though last thing on the World Series Stephen and just you know I've been through so much with Houston sports over the years and you know I go back to you know, the Astros from 1980 and 86. and Yeah, same here. I go back to the 70s when they were doing nothing. So, yeah, I understand that. And the and you go to the Love You Blue Oilers and all these, yep. all these Houston sports teams over the years. And it's really weird to go through five games of a World Series and there's not that game that's just the with the dramatic ending that's either one way or another. Th these games are pretty much been decided by the end of the game, you know, for the most, I mean, they're not, none of them are, have been all that close. Well, you know, that's a good point. You're right. I mean, in, in 2017, talk about earning it the hard way. I mean, not only did the Astros have to earn it on the road, but they had to earn it. If the games, the, the seven to six, the 13 to 12, you know, those games that went back and forth and back and forth. I mean, I don't think any of us had any nails left, maybe not even fingers left by the time those games were over. Yeah, this year it's definitely been different. I mean, every every World Series is different. And it's it's interesting just to compare, you know, from one year to the next to the next. Every postseason has a different storyline. I mean, it, it it comes to the same ending. One team's going to win, one team's going to lose. But in between, you never really know what's going to happen. And, yeah, even the, the Bregman Grand Slam, I mean, it's not like it, it did break the game open, but it's not like it brought the Astros from behind or they were tied, or, you know, maybe ahead by a run, it basically put the game out of reach in different plays like that. So, yeah, that's an interesting point, is the, the 2017 World Series totally different from the Astros' appearance in the 2019 series. Yeah, the whole thing's weird for me. I, I'm used to, you know, just being on the edge of my seat. As a, it, it just hasn't been the, the typical, you know, Astros, Rockets, uh, Oilers, Texans, like rip your heart out games or, you know, just like elation at the end uh, on some sort of magic happening or something like that, especially what we saw the 2017 Astros. So it's been really, really strange. And 
On the other hand, the Texans, they tend to always make things interesting, and they did it again on Sunday. They picked up a huge win, absolute brilliance by Deshaun Watson at the end. That was the good news. The bad news, as we said earlier, the unofficial mayor of Houston, J.J. Watt, out for the season. And Stephen, you know, it's just frustrating because you couldn't even celebrate this win for an hour and then you found out, oh, my God, J.J. Watt's out for the season. What? He's out for the season again? Well, I, I to be honest, you know, during the game when I heard he left with a shoulder injury, I thought, oh, gosh, well, I hope it's not a separated shoulder. But even if it is, you know, maybe a few weeks and he could come back. But I think it was right after the game that I saw something about uh, Bill O'Brien was asked, you know, if, if it was possible that J.J. would be out for the season and, of course, he said, well, we haven't heard anything yet. You know, he's not going to give anything away then. But, yeah, it wasn't too long after that. And you know what, Robert? Maybe we should stop calling these guys the unofficial mayor of Houston because, you know, the other unofficial mayor of Houston is also out with a with a season injury. We're talking about Gerald Green. So, yeah, maybe we shouldn't label J.J. Watt mayor or any of that stuff anymore. But, you know, it. and, and again, it's it's sad that it would happen to anybody, but – Think about it, especially J.J. I mean, this guy has had three of the last four years, he has had to fight off major injuries. And, you know, after the first injury, the herniated disc, he kind of thought, I mean, is he even going to be an effective player when he comes back? Never mind the same J.J. Watt. Well, he came back from that, at least, you know, on a limited basis. And then he broke, you know, he had the leg injury, broke his leg. And then again, you're saying, well, now he's had two major injuries. There's no way he's going to come back and be the same J.J. Watt, is there? Well, he came back, and, and you know, he was even effective in this game, in the Raiders game. He, he made that uh, tackle. He stuffed the run on uh, Jacobs, and that was the last tackle he made. And then he shrugs his shoulders and feels the pain. And now he's out with a third injury in four years. I mean, you got to feel for anybody, but my goodness, you, you especially have to feel for J.J. Watt, who, as he put it in a tweet that he put out on Twitter, this game can be beautiful and it can be brutal. And for the last few years for J.J. Watt, it has certainly been both. Yeah, that tweet that he had, just uh, it almost put you in tears reading it. This is going to be 33 games in four years that he's going to miss when it's all added up. And you also have to wonder, Stephen, how long he'll want to play football. Because as we saw with Andrew Luck, these injuries, they take a mental and physical toll. And for those who don't remember, back in 2016, he said, he won't be one of those players who sticks around until he physically is unable to play any longer. And if I'm putting money on it, Steven, he won't play beyond his current contract. When it, I mean, when it ends in 2021, I kind of would be surprised. I, I think he might just say, okay, that's been enough because JJ, he can do other things. You know, it's funny you say that, Robert. I was thinking about that ironically while the Astros game was on, because I started thinking about the injury, you know, I was reading some things on Twitter and, looking up some articles uh, during the Astros game. And that thought, that very thought popped into my mind. And I even took it a step further. I'm like, will he even want to come back after this injury? Because of all the rehab that he had to put in with the herniated disc and, and then the leg, you know, and now the shoulder, the, the pectoral muscle, you know, those things are not only painful, they just can last for so long. I mean, is he even going to want to do that and, and do all that rehab and come back after that? I mean, J.J. is a competitive person, but like you said, I, I do remember when he made that statement that he, he doesn't want to go beyond, you know, what he's capable of. And as competitive as Andrew Luck was, 
you know, we saw that he just said, you know what, enough's enough. Too many injuries. I, I could very easily see J.J. Watt doing that even after this injury not coming back at all. But at the very least, no, I – I would be surprised if he wanted to play after this contract was over. You know, I was going to argue with you a little bit. And I was going to say, well, yeah, pectoral, it's easy to recover from that. Then maybe it is for, for, well, I think it should be for a leg or a back. But still, you looked at Whitney Merciless and he came back from that pectoral and he did play the next year. They, they got hurt in almost the identical game in the season the previous year. So he played the entire next season. But it didn't really feel like he, he's gotten it going until like a year or two even after that. So, yeah, I, you know, you might have something. I, I'm also kind of thinking, you know, may, maybe I'm overthinking this a little bit. But does J.J. look at, you know, $30 million or something that he would be owed for 2020 and 2021 and think, well, what could I do with that money that would be good in the world? And, you know, for a lot of people, you wouldn't even think about that. But J.J., that might be something that he would consider. Oh, it absolutely would, because that's the type of person J.J. is. And by the way, I wasn't saying that he couldn't come back from it. My my point was, would he be motivated enough to want to come back from something like that, especially after the previous two injuries? That That's kind of what I was alluding to. But you just never know when one player to the next. I mean, his body has certainly taken a beating, and he is going to have to have surgery on this. So you just never know. But now, if, if anybody can come back from it, absolutely J.J. could. You know, the question is, does he want to go through this all over again and come back and hope he doesn't get injured again between the time he comes back and when his contract runs out. But yeah, as far as the money thing, sure, he, he could he could take all that money and just pop it into something to help people. He, he's done that quite a bit. We don't all know about the Harvey thing, but you know he's he's done other causes too that we probably don't even know about. Meanwhile, the Texans, uh, like uh, you said off the top of the podcast, they're a mash unit. They lose. Not only J.J., but they lost Laramie Tunsil and Lonnie Johnson in this game. You throw that in with Will Fuller, Titus Howard, Bradley Roby, all going to be out for a while, and we'll see how long Jonathan Joseph and Deshaun Gibson are out. Yeah, the Texans won. I, I don't know uh, if they can keep this up with all of these injuries, and you know how football is. It, it might just keep going, and it's not – you know, it's like the Texans aren't just getting injured they're they're get, getting injuries from guys that you need. I mean, these are huge guys that you you take them away and it's like a domino effect. The whole house seems to fall down without some of these guys, especially on the offensive line. Well, and it's so funny cuz the last several years it it seems to hit with positions. You know, we the, the offensive line struggled to stay healthy for a couple of years and even last year when you had both QT and Fuller out and then even at the very end DeAndre Hopkins, who hardly – he never gets hurt. Well, he was hurt in that playoff game with Indianapolis. He played, but he obviously wasn't the same new that you're used to seeing. And now this year, it, it's just it, – it's like when it rains, it pours for the defense. I mean, it was bad enough that the secondary was being riddled, and then they had some more injuries on Sunday. But then your best defensive player and certainly one of your top players on the entire team is out. So – I, I don't know. It, it It is like a domino effect. And yes, I know every team in the NFL has injuries. NFL is a violent sport. It's just what it is. But boy, the Texans is just year after year. It, it Not only do they get snake bit at just certain times, but certain positions. And then it's just like a domino effect. When one happens, they all seem to fall down. I haven't seen anything. And I apologize for our listeners because you guys might already know more than we do. But uh, Tunsil, 
anything on him? Did you see anything on what, what, what's wrong or how long he should be out? Yeah, he was uh, considered questionable. And I want to say it was, uh, I want to say it was a shoulder, but he, he was listed as questionable at the end of the game. So hoping that uh, he could certainly be back for the London game. Uh, but that, that was the last thing I saw on him. And here's an interesting thing, Robert, is that it, it, Kiki QT, he didn't, he, he was on the sidelines, but he even confirmed, I, I saw on Twitter, that there was no injury with Kiki QT. So rather interesting that uh, he really didn't see any action on Sunday either. Yeah, that was really unusual. I mean, you thought, yo, QT, he's going to be playing a lot now that, you know, Will Fuller's out and he's going to be out for a while. And all of a sudden, you know, he's not good enough to play over DeAndre Carter. And Carter had a, a huge catch in this game. And I was wondering if Carter was even going to stick around because he's not been all that good on special teams and he hasn't played a ton on offense. But all of a sudden, he's like the he's a factor again. And, you know, Deshaun Watson, we got to talk about the game because Deshaun Watson, that play was just unreal, Stephen. I mean, to to do what he was able to do in that play and, and everybody was going crazy because, you know, they said, well, last week, you know, in the grasp, he was in the grasp. The Texans probably would have won the game if he's not in the grasp. But to me, they were different plays. One play, the game against the Colts, somebody's got him by his leg where, you know, somebody could take a pot shot high at a quarterback when, when, when you've got him wrapped up around his leg and somebody could do something to his knee or something like that. Whereas the play against the Raiders, you know, he's somebody grabs him up high and, you know, it, it's, it's kind of in this area where it happens so quickly and in and, and, and such a crowd that the, the refs can't see what's going on by the time they do, he's out of it. And then, you know, he makes that incredible play after he got kicked in the face. I've never seen a guy get kicked in the eye, quarterback get kicked in the eye. And he's got like, can't even see what's going on out of one eye, I guess, when he makes the throw. But I mean, that that goes down as one of the all-time incredible plays in, in Texans history. It might be the most incredible that, that I've seen as far as just degree of difficulty. Well, I'll tell you what, what I'm hoping, Robert, is that Every week we can say that about Deshaun Watson is that he just keeps making one miraculous play after one miraculous play. Uh, we we could do without being kicked in the face. We we can definitely do without that. But and you know when he went down, you know you, you wondered was it his knee? Was it his because uh, he had his face down? He he went face first into the ground, and you couldn't really tell at first. And then when he was asking for a towel, it was obvious that you know something had happened to his face. And that's when we I think we all found out that. He had been kicked in the face and like kind of scratched his eye a little bit. But yeah, what an incredible play. And he just, the guy is a beast and and he took a beating again on Sunday, but he just keeps hanging in there, making plays. You talk about a tough guy. Football players are tough to begin with, but some are just, I don't know, some are just tougher than tough. And Deshaun Watson is one of them. And not only does he hang in there when he takes a couple of hits and gets kicked like that, just makes those incredible plays. I mean, th- that's what we live for, Robert. If you're a Texans fan and you've got a quarterback like Deshaun Watson, you live for him to make plays just like that. And he's made several this season already. And here's hoping if you're a Texans fan that the next week, you know, in the London game, maybe he does it again. And the week after that, or, or at least as often as possible, you and I can sit here on this podcast and go, wow, Deshaun just made another just when we thought he couldn't make a better play. Yeah, you've got to keep him alive, though. I mean, that's the problem. Here's the issue with Deshaun. You know, you've got Laramie Tunsil might be out now, and you already 
have Chris Clark was your right tackle, and then they moved Chris Clark over to left tackle, and maybe Chris Clark now is protecting Deshaun's backside, and you know they're, th- now they're going to have to play musical chairs with the offensive line. And you know it, it, Chris Clark, he got bull rushed into Deshaun on the fifth drive for one of the three sacks, and then he was badly beaten, uh, which forced that fourth down where the Texans had to kick a field goal on another sack. Zach Fulton, he was the reason for the third sack that Deshaun had, which just kind of lost his man on it. But, I mean, Chris Clark was, it was terrible. He was getting beat and beat badly. And the other frustrating thing about this offensive line, and, and this goes for everybody, I mean, the penalties, there, there, there wasn't like a million penalties by the Texans, but all of them seemed to be offensive line. Tunsil had a false start on the first drive. Nick Martin had a false start. Uh, Chris Clark had a holding penalty in the second quarter. Uh, Zach Fulton had two false starts in the third quarter. I mean, it, it was, and then even if it wasn't an offensive lineman it, itself, it was Jordan Akins who had a horrible game and his holding penalty killed a drive in the second quarter. But it was all basically those guys that were the problem. DJ Reader had a hands to the face, uh, whatever. DJ Reader's played fantastic. And the other penalty was on Taiwan Jones on special teams, which I thought was a bad call. It's about the offensive line. They've just got to clean this stuff up. And I don't know if it's like they're having an issue with with Deshaun's, you know, how he's, uh, you know, snap count or how he's doing things. But I mean, it's this offensive line's got to clean things up. And it's not, it's not even, you know, blocking for Deshaun. It's just kind of, you know, just don't get called for penalties every. I mean, killing drives one after the other. Yeah, and, and I know that, you know, part of the problem is because of the, the shuttling in and out. But my biggest thing is, especially when I've been seeing uh, Laramie Tunsil get several false starts in the last couple of weeks. I mean, I can understand the first week or two trying to get the cadence down and, and so forth, you know, being new to the Texans. But I think he's been entrenched long enough that shouldn't be happening as much. I'm I'm just questioning. I, I noticed that sometimes on these, there are late snaps. And, and I'm wondering the same as you, Robert. Is it something that Nick Martin is doing? that when Deshaun is calling for the ball, that he's not snapping it. And the other linemen are, are thinking that it is. I don't know that. I don't know if there's a communi- a miscommunication problem between Watson and Martin that they need to straighten out or if it's more on Watson, but yeah, they really need to get a hold of that because it, it kills drives, you know, it, and it, it, at least the Texans did win, but it's, it's something that's definitely been happening the last couple of weeks, way too many penalties and the defense made their share, but you kind of have to give them a pass just because of how many people are out, how many of their main people are out. But the false starts and, and even some of the holdings are, you know, especially with the late snaps, the false starts, I just got to stop. How about a round of applause for Darren Fells? I mean, what, what, what else can you say about this guy? He's got, uh, what is it? I don't know how many touchdowns he's got on the season, but he, he gets two more in this game. But he's got six receptions and 58 yards in the game. And here's the thing, Stephen. Owen Daniels is basically the only tight end in Texans history that means anything. But Darren Fells is now easily the Texans' second best tight end, and he's just been a he's been a lifesaver. I mean, I love Darren Fells in a, in a game where Jordan Akins, like I said, was terrible, and he was dropping passes and getting called for holding penalties, and just you know he was getting in the way of Carlos Hyde on run. I mean, he was doing everything to screw things up. But Darren Fells was doing, he was saving you left and right, you know, with his blocking, with his catching, whatever. He was doing it. Well, you knew when they signed Fells that he was going to give you that veteran presence and then he had some blocking ability. But I don't think 
I really don't think anybody, maybe outside the Texans themselves, thought he was going to come through so much as a pass catcher. But he has definitely become one of Watson's favorite targets. I mean, Nuke had a great game over 100 yards, but he didn't have a touchdown pass. It was like Fells, and he had his two, and then Duke Johnson with the other. But, wow, yeah, Fells is making some great plays the last several weeks. So as far as the tight ends are concerned, I think you have to say he's been a big surprise this season, at least from the amount of passes he's been catching and the, the quality of passes he's been catching from Watson. With the defense, you know, you said it, Stephen. I, I love what you said because th- there's so many injuries. It's hard to get on them. But Lonnie Johnson, who looked really good for the first few weeks, is he's kind of fallen off a little bit. He was beat bad when the Texans blitzed on that first touchdown. The card, to Hunter Renfro, the 65-yarder. Uh, you look at the rest of the game. Outside of their three touchdown drives and and the, and the field goal drive, what, eh, yeah, that was kind of eight play fifty yard drive led to the field goal late in the game. But you look at some of the other drives and it's you know one first down and punt. There was a three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out, one first down. So basically, I think on what is it six drives, they either gave up one first. They gave up a total of two first downs on six drives, according to uh, what I wrote down. So I mean, if you look at the Texans defense, considering losing J.J. Watt in the second quarter and every everything else that went on in this game, I mean, you got to give them credit just for hanging in there. I mean, that was a game with just they, they won on guts a little bit on, on the defensive side. The offensive side was trying to shoot themselves in the foot. I thought the defensive side was getting more out of their guys than the talent out on the field. Yeah, they really did. And I figured it was going to be a shootout if the offense played their game. And I figured the defense would give up some points. But, I mean, you think about it, giving up 24 points when you consider what the defense has been through, and then they lost J.J. Watt. I mean, I, you know, you, there's no way you're going to replace a J.J. Watt. You can only hope to compensate as best you can for him. But, yeah, I'd say in light of what the defense has been through, you know, especially with all the injuries in the secondary, I, I'd say giving up 24 points is really a relief, and it's also a relief that you were going against a quarterback like Derek Carr, who, I mean, he's he's had his moments, and, and he's struggled a little bit, but he's, he's certainly not a, a Brady or a Breeze or someone like that. It's almost a relief that you weren't going against one of those guys today. Yeah, and his surrounding cast, I thought there were times where they could have helped him a little bit more than they did, perhaps. And, you know, the good news also with the Texans, if I'm going through, like, what I liked about this game, the special teams – Overall, one of the few games where I don't have a lot to really quibble about. I thought special teams was really strong. Bill O'Brien, not much bad to say about Bill O'Brien in this game either. I mean, there was a couple of the couple of things that bothered me. You know, there was a you know having ten men on the field. I don't know if this is Bill O'Brien. This sounds more like a Romeo problem. But somehow there was ten men on the field after a kickoff, he has to take a timeout. Yeah, but the fact that he took a timeout before it actually did anything developed, I, I actually thought that was a good thing because the Texans weren't going to get caught flat-footed. At least he called timeout in time, realizing, oh, there's only 10 men. So I actually have to give him credit for that one. Yeah, so, I mean, overall, I mean, you still need to just clean up this stuff on offense. I mean, I know they were working on all the penalties from the Colts game, and it just seemed like it was the same stuff. And Lermy Tunsil. You know, hopefully it's not a ma- major injury, but when he gets on the field, somehow, some way, you got to get the false starts out of his game because otherwise he's been fantastic. There's not much to argue, but those false starts can kill drives. 
I mean, it's just, it's penalties are just a, they're drive killers. And I mean, you, I watch it over and over again in the NFL and they, they had Bill O'Brien's quote when they were talking about it in the broadcast where Bill O'Brien said, Hey, look, usually in the NFL, it's, it's about, uh, not doing the things to hurt you more than doing the things to help you or something like that. And, and that's true. But I mean, anything else from the game that, you wanted to mention, I mean, I think that's the main stuff. It just, you know, it was a huge game for them. They're five and three. If they lose that game and you fall another game behind the Colts, because the Colts pulled one out late. I mean, they're you're two games back. The Colts have the tiebreaker. The Colts have got a schedule that's not too difficult coming up. They've got the Steelers and then the Dolphins, which is basically a bye week in their next two weeks. So, I mean, it, it could it could go really poorly. And the Texans, meanwhile, with all the injuries, it's going to be a fight. I mean, for them to make the playoffs this year, it's going to be a fight because they're going to have to. They might have to do it with you know no JJ Watt. Um, who knows what they're going to have with their offensive line going for? I mean, it, you got a lot. Of, secondary is a mess. I mean, just a total mess right now. And, and you hope that they can take advantage of that bye week and maybe guys might miss next week but maybe the week after that some of these guys will start to be able to come back but that that that's the hope right now well it is a good thing the Texans won today because actually everybody in the AFC South won everybody swept and so that just makes the game in London with Jacksonville that much bigger and yeah just moving forward Robert it, it's just so hard to tell the, the Texans are a mystery team I mean even before they had all these injuries there were some weeks that uh, they, they just shot themselves in the foot and either barely won a game or lost a game that they should have won. And then, of course, you know, against the Falcons and the the Chargers and, and teams like that, they come up with big wins. So it, it just – I mean, I would hate to be an odds maker right now trying to pick the Texans from week to week because you just don't know. Honestly, I think if they had been much more fully healthy, they, they really could have blown the Raiders out. The, I, I firmly believe that. But just too many things were happening to them. And moving forward, there's just no way to know. You know, the trade deadline's coming up. The Texans, I mean, they don't have a lot of assets to try to even make a trade to to get someone to fill the void of J.J. Watt, even halfway decent linemen. So, you know, and then, of course, the quarterback that made the trade for Gary and Conley. But, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be kind of, as a teacher of mine used to say, piecing it together with bailing wire and bubble gum if they don't stop these injuries from happening. Yeah, and the way Bill O'Brien operates, this scares me because you don't want to just start, oh, let's, you know, he's already, I'm trying to win this year and win now, 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 and that, and that's fine. But injuries happen, and you got to play the long game. And Bill O'Brien with, you know, guys out and him maybe starting to panic and I'm going to trade the next 15 drafts to to win this year. I mean, you know, just calm down. Take it easy, Bill. You know, you're not, you, you might not win the Super Bowl this year. Hopefully some of these guys can come back. It, it's going to be, I mean, I, I just feel like without J.J. Watt, you're, you're working really against it because I don't know where the pass rush comes from from here on out. But, I mean, that that's kind of where the Texans are. It, it's going to be tough. they got to get the running game going again. Carlos Hyde, he was good, I thought. But, you know, it just, it, again, they struggled early with the running game. He, he had 4.4 yards a carry, 83 yards on 19 carries. And was good towards the end of the game, but you know you got to stick with the run a little bit, Bill O'Brien. But uh, I think that's all we got. I'm I'm kind of uh, uh, wearing down now after two straight uh, games, the Astros and the Texans, and everything that's happened today. But 
the good news is, I mean, forget everything else. The Astros can win the World Series on Tuesday. I'm kind of excited about that, Stephen. <laughs> hey, me too. And I'll tell you what, you know, we, we've got just, I mean, I guess you could say we're like these players. They're at the end of the season. Everybody's everybody's running out of gas, but they've got just a little bit extra in the tank to reach down there because if they win, then we got to have enough to celebrate on. So, Robert, you and I need to at least stay upright long enough to pull the Astros through to win the World Series, and we can have a celebratory show and and uh, have a parade in Houston, and then we can move forward. Texans win 27 to 24. They moved to five and three. Astros win. Oh my God, seven to one, three to two in the World Series. They're one game away. Minute Maid Park on Tuesday. It's going to be nuts. Hopefully, some of you guys can go out there. Some of our listeners will be out there to to watch that one in person because uh, that could be a incredibly special moment in Houston sports history for sure. I mean, I, you've got to go back to what the Rockets in 1995 to the last real big huge team that won, an, won a championship in Houston, you know, on the home floor, but it's been 24 years since it's happened, so just can't wait for that. Can't wait for Tuesday to come, and we'll keep doing post games for you guys as always, and hopefully a championship post game sometime this week. Wouldn't that be nice? You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.